love it. I'm saying I'm going to change his T-shirt to Hot Tony. <laughs> That's so funny. Hot, hot tuna. Like, how funny Tony would that tuna. be? So good. I had a friend called Kate. She used to drive a, when we all passed her tests, she drove a Ford car. Someone bought her a TE sticker, so it looked like she was driving a Ford Kate. I love it. Legendary. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. I haven't sound checked you. Are you sounding good? I sound really good. Awesome, bro. Yeah, I can hear it bionically. <laughs> I love it. This is rolling. Thank you so much for coming on to our show in your studio, Matthew. Bro. Best of Belfast. Absolutely. I'm just glad you guys came. Honestly, like it's Aww. it's a real honor to be here. And thank you for making the track and yeah. turning my uh, humble audio studio into a full-blown video thing. So thank you. Hey, appreciate <laughs> it, man. I mean, we're really honored to have, have you on our show in your studio. It's an inspiration. Um, obviously, you've been doing this for quite a bit. Absolutely. Are you almost at your 300 episode? Yeah, we're pretty much there, yeah. Incredible, yeah. incredible. And the last time I was here, I mean, time flies. Oh, bro, crazy. Jeez, I mean, was that like three months already? Yeah, I was just thinking, like, this is like the completion of the trinity of our podcasts, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Because we did one with Scott Riley right. together, and then I interviewed you, and now the mic's reversed, so it's yeah. like, dude, the, the trinity is complete. Amazing, <laughs> man. Amazing. I'm sure more to come as well. And uh, we can go so many directions. Oh, uh, I am definitely curious about uh, your work with like mental health. Oh yeah. Um, I think it's obviously important, you know, with just the fast paced nature of our modern life. And it's amazing that, you know, it's not as much of a stigma anymore. Oh, yeah. uh, being more and more uh, talked about, uh, Patty Pimlet from Liverpool yep. like came on to after he won his fight and talked about how important it was and how he lost a friend who I mean didn't reach out sure. unfortunately but so let's get into that um, what made you move into that direction in terms of like your, you have your current podcast but you have your other project with mm -hmm. mental health Totally. So it depends how far back you want to go. Like I can give you the origin yeah, story. Yeah, let's do that because obviously you've the, gone through your own journey as yeah, well with that. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, I think like the origin story, like many of us who are pretty vocal in the mental health space is we've walked through and are currently walking through stuff ourselves, you know? So my journey with mental health started probably when I was around 11. Mm. And so I had something that's super common. You ever heard of glandular fever? Oh yeah. Yeah, kissing disease. You know, yes. it's the classic like around the teenage years. I think in America, you guys might call it mono. Mono, yeah, mononucleosis, right? yes. Yeah. I think the the my uh, professor friend who I do the mental health project with, he refers to it as the Epstein-Barr virus. Right, right? okay. So lots of fancy different I names. I didn't know that link. That was, yeah, yeah, that's the connection. connection. Okay. So like Epstein-Barr, glandular fever, mono, that was kind of like, the reaction to that for most people is they've got a really bad flu. You know, your glands swell up like mad. You can't eat for a few days and that's it. You reset to normal. There is a small kind of percentage, probably not really that small, but there's a group of people 
who kind of uh, had long COVID before long COVID was cool, yeah. where their body had an extended inflammatory response to this kind of big virus that hits your system that didn't really get cleared out properly. Were you partying at 11? Do you know what? <laughs> I, I, I was so disappointed whenever I got kissing disease because I was like, I've never even kissed a girl before. <laughs> I was going to say, about like me a Big Daddy Mac no, at 11 no, years old. I was like Peter Parker before the spider bite, you know? Yeah. Uh, big glasses, super nerd, like playing Mario Kart all day and RuneScape and just was like, you know, again, I was a nerd before it was cool. Yeah. And uh, really loved tech. I got that from my dad. My dad was really into tech. We had internet pretty early in the house. I was all always into like, you know, pirating stuff and hacking stuff and modern stuff. And so, you know, was really, really into all that. And it's funny, that served me so well. Just on more of the software side or also hardware? No, never hardware. Okay. Never, ever. Like, even to this day, I'm useless. Like, my wife is the handyman in the house. Oh, and yeah, I have no yeah, shame yeah. in it. Judy, the same. <laughs> you the same? Yeah, yeah. She's yeah, gonna, like, come slap on, me. bring it on. Yeah. Uh, useless, useless on a hardware respective Software, yeah. Never got into programming or anything like that, but, like, know my way around. Like, I would be a solid IT guy in a school. Do you know what I mean? Like, I could slot into that pretty, pretty comfortably. So... Yeah, had Lancer fever, didn't really think anything of it. Uh, it was just after my 11 plus, mm -hmm. which is like our big exam whenever you're 11. It, it determines the fate of your future, yeah. or so it feels like at that age. So I just had finished that. It was P7, which is your final year of primary school. And we were all really looking forward to like the fun part of school. We've always been promised, you know, this is the time where... You've got nothing really to learn. You go on fun trips. And I remember we went on a tour of like a, a high school called Crumlin and just came back from that trip. It sounds like a huge trip. It was like a two hour trip and just was feeling really sluggish. Da, da, da. That was the start of a six month journey where I was kind of bedridden, yeah. lost a lot of muscle, lost a lot of strength, didn't have much to, to begin with. Uh, and, you know, was really quite sick, like to the point where I couldn't climb the stairs at some point. Mm. And of course... Hindsight being 2020, you look back and everything that I do now, and we know as a, as a society about mental health, that was kind of a recipe for disaster on the depression front specifically. Mm -hmm. And so started really, really battling with depression. Wouldn't even have had that language at that time. The, the, the word depression didn't even really come into my life until I was about 16 mm -hmm. after, you know, five years. It's just hard really to believe battling. because this is what, like, late... 1990s or early 2000s? I, I'm 95, so yeah, yeah that was early, early 2000s. Early 2000s, yeah. that's hard to believe. Even come back, yeah. probably, yeah. Yeah, and within like 15 years or so. Yeah, plus, yeah. yeah. and a, a lot of that was cultural. A lot of that was probably family culture as well. Yeah. What the heck is mental health? Nobody knew, you know? Mm. Like, being a 90s kid is funny because... I think our parents were put in a really difficult position because there was so much newness, mm -hmm. you know. There was no, they were the first parents to experience the internet. There was, no, there was no rules. There was no guide rails. There was nothing to hold on to. And so there was a lot of flying by the seat of your pants and, and a lot of mistakes were made by all parents, you know, as parents do. That's kind oh, of parents' yeah, jobs. Yeah, that was the wild, wild west. Yeah, the so, time. yeah. And so interesting because even like going through the health system with the NHS and God bless the NHS and all that stuff, there was no real vocabulary for depression. They were just like, what is this? Is this an extended virus? You know, is this long COVID? Is this long glandular fever or whatever? And the mental health stuff was only starting to get explored at 16. And I remember that that was kind of like a light bulb moment for me where I was like, oh my goodness, like I knew it wasn't something. Yes. I, I, 
I, there's years in my life where I was like, like, do I have cancer? Do I have some sort of weird disease that's like, you know, slowly killing me or whatever? And did they like classify it as uh, chronic fatigue syndrome? You as hit well? the yes. nail on yeah. the head, yeah. brother. Yeah. yeah. So it's chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm. We don't know um, what it is. Pop it in that box. Yeah. It's kind of like, and I don't mean this in an offensive way at all. It's kind of like irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. You have this umbrella collection of mm. symptoms. We don't really know. So we're going to put you in this box because it's the only way we as a system can even remotely try to process you with the, the means that we have. So, you know, six months, 11 years old, going through puberty. It was like a hilarious Peter Parker moment. I remember I wasn't in school for six months. I remember coming back and being like a foot taller and having a deep voice. And everyone else was like that. You know, all like I left, everyone was like playing football in my record and I came back and everyone was like trying to kiss each other. And I was like, whoa, like <laughs> what the heck happened here? Yeah. But in that kind of, in that time frame, I had like a real rock bottom experience. Um, we had some complications in our family life as well. And I, I, to the point where I was suicidal and mm. was, you know, from a very young age, I've always been quite mature f for my age for whatever reason. So it sounds bonkers to even say this as an 11 year old, but, you know, it was stockpiling pills, set a date, knew exactly when the best time to take my life would be. And as clear as day. And uh, I remember sitting at the kitchen table, pills in front of me, starting to pop them Jeez. and having what I can only describe as a spiritual experience. Hmm. I was raised in the Christian faith. My parents were very religious, so I was sent to Sunday school religiously. You know, I was hitting probably your five hours of church a week sort of kid. Yeah, Judy was turbo same, Christian, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so we were raised on all the, the Sunday school stories, all the Bible stories. I knew them backwards. And for anyone who comes from a Christian faith, the only way I can describe it is and the how I actually processed it at the time was there's a story of Samuel in the Bible, mm -hmm. who was a young boy yeah. who hears the voice of God and runs to his daddy priest guardian at the time, Levi. And it's like, was that you? Did you call me? And Levi's like, go back to bed. I didn't call you. Like, and Samuel comes again. He says, no, seriously, like I hear somebody. Did you call me? And I think the third time the priest was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I, I think God might be speaking to this kid. Like, like. If it happens again, like go back in bed and just say, yes, Lord, here I am, or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I very, very clearly, I heard a voice that I couldn't hear with my own ears speak directly in the deepest part of myself that I can fathom. And it was very simply this. It says, Matthew, don't do it because I have a plan for your life. And I just, you know, I hit the floor in tears. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I hadn't cried all throughout that six months. And I remember just all of it coming out, you know, like that, you know, that like deep groan, trauma release sort of cry. Mm -hmm. And I just remember like falling on my knees and just, I describe it as a moment of surrender. And, you know, at that point in time with the belief system that I had, I just was like, look, I'm going to give you everything. You know, you've saved my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I will never be the same again. It was it was kind of like this, oh my goodness moment, like all that stuff is real. Like come to yeah. Jesus style? It was a, yeah, it was a come to Jesus yeah. moment where mm -hmm. I was like, I thought these were really just stories. Mm. I never really thought about things in the spiritual realm. Even now I have, I have a pretty clear distinction when I talk to people and even for myself between religion and faith. And I think that that was the moment where I started having a faith okay. and having a, a personal 
relationship and a connection with, you know, what I describe as God. And has that um, evolved since? It, it's evolved, but like I still would be comfortable to categorize myself as a Christian. Okay. You know, yeah. and I think for some Christians, I would probably offend. Yeah. You know, because they're like you're because the way you're talking. Yeah, right. Because I th- I think Christianity is obviously a huge umbrella. Mm-hmm. But I can you start your own church. <laughs> oh, don't tell me. I think I'm susceptible to be a cult leader. I think like I've basically signed like blood contracts with like my wife and my best friends. Never let me start a religious movement because yeah. it would be dangerous for everybody. Uh, but you the know, next best thing business. I I, I definitely yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I definitely I'm quite anti-religion. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly in the Christian uh, arena, I think religion is very dangerous. And again, I make that very clear distinction between religion and faith. Yeah. And I think even in the parameters of the Hebrew and the Christian Bible, I think we box that in very, very, very strongly. And I think that it's, um, I was actually thinking about this this morning, it's probably why I'm talking about it. I was leaving my car off at the mechanic and I was walking down the road and I was thinking, you know, whenever our man-made religion stops serving people in the way that I believe God would like to serve people, you probably need to take a good look at your religion. Yeah, it's that. well, they've lost a lot of numbers, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so how this spiritual experience? Um, I'm, I'm sorry, did, did you actually take the pills? I, I think I took maybe four or five. Yeah. Okay, and how many were you planning on taking? All of them, like 50. <laughs> you know, wow, I, I, so what, what just prompted you to kind of microdose? <laughs> <laughs> microdose and paracetamol, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's probably Lemsip tablets, actually, not think about it. Wow. But yeah, no, it was, it was at that point that I, I heard the voice, and I got on my knees, and then I don't know what I did. I, so you're I in might have even dramatically like thrown the, the pills in the bed oh, or something like crazy, that. Oh, crazy, man. Yeah. So you're like five pills in, yeah. about to yeah. dump them all. Yeah. Wow. And the, the, the crazy thing is, I haven't talked about this for a while. It's crazy what comes back to you through different retellings. I didn't tell anybody. Oh, jeez. I didn't tell anybody about that mm. until I was 16. Mm. And so I kind of had this weird diverging self at that point where I just continued to be the same person that I was, particularly for my family. Yeah. And then there was this deep, rich inner life with a lot of pain and a lot of Mm -hmm. turmoil, a lot of excitement, a lot of mysticism, a lot of, you know, spirituality that I just didn't share for. So that was your Spider-Man. Yeah, that was my alter ego. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny, man. It is like I'm deeply influenced by superheroes, particularly Spider-Man. I love Uh, Spider-Man. I think it was because it was like that that nerd who had had an opportunity to take the glasses off. Mm. I I remember like, it's so like you couldn't really write it, but like around that time, I got contact lenses. I remember like taking the glasses off was a real symbolic moment for mm-hmm. me because it was during that transition period with puberty, with the spiritual experience. And when I came back to school, I did have an opportunity to kind of reinvent myself. Mm-hmm. I remember I was always very, very shy as a, as a child, um, really would have been quite quiet, softly spoken, always been unbelievably sensitive, like really sensitive, like to the point where I would have said that I was being bullied and on hindsight people were just having the crack with me and I just right. I just I just wasn't ready to handle it do you know what I mean yeah yeah and so 
but w- I've always been deeply curious about people. I've loved understanding people from a young age. I think it's probably the sensitivity that fuels that, you know, because you experience the whole kind of recipe of emotions. You like to see that and tap into that in other people. It's one of the reasons why I love podcasting is because mm-hmm. you basically have a chance to, to kind of pull out different little platters of emotions and explore them or, you know, story arcs. And I love relating to people and seeing myself in their story and seeing mine and theirs and all that sort of stuff. But I came back and I basically, I remember choosing confidence. I went on a, a family holiday that summer to, goodness, I think Salou in Spain. And it's like, you know, it was like an American teen movie where you've got all the young people at the hotel and everybody's trying to get with each other and everyone's starting to like to try to like steal drink from their parents. And but I just remember like going there and just choosing to be a really confident person who didn't mind going up to people and chatting with them and introducing myself. And um, that's really where I... I kind of found this other part of myself. And how old are you then? Like, probably 12, you know. Mm. Okay. And so, so you already were playing with the idea of shifting your identity. Yeah, yeah. And it really was, that word playing is really, that's a cool word that you, yeah. you threw out there. Because mm-hmm. that's, for me, that's what it felt like. It felt like a game. And mm. I, and like I said, I was a ma- major gamer, but I just felt like I was, I was surprised at the possibility that I could just go up to a complete stranger and just talk to them. And it felt like I was experimenting with this new dark art. You know what I mean? Like this new form of magic that I've never experienced before. And nine times out of 10, it worked amazingly. You know, I remember uh, on a different trip, uh, probably five years later, I remember like, because I enjoyed that experience so much, like first night on the holiday in the hotel, like, walking up to like a group of probably like 15, 16 year olds and just sitting in the middle of them <laughs> and not saying anything and waiting for them to turn on and being like, you all right? <laughs> and I, I made like some really, really, really great friends mm. through that time. Anyway, package all that up. Uh, I really started to come out of my shell. Uh, but again, still had this very kind of like inner hidden life. Mm. Was really addicted to pornography was definitely like if you were going to classify me like I would have been chronically addicted to video gaming as well I think I don't know if we talked before but yeah, I, you know, we've, we've I've, covered I've, a I've little put bit into my 10,000 hours you know wow. easily like just in, in that uh, kind of teenage period mm-hmm. and then alongside that I I think a lot of people with chronic fatigue syndrome experience this I would kind of fall into this rut of like two weeks on two weeks off I would be this super confident Spider-Man for two weeks. I would be in school. I would be life and soul. I would be having a great time. And then I would get like a chest infection. I'd be lying in bed for two weeks. Wow. And I bounced between that, honestly, for the next kind of five years. Mm. And it would be on top of the world, feeling amazing, to then being at rock bottom, super depressed, by myself, not wanting to talk to anybody, pushing everyone out of my life, parents included. Mm. And that was my reality for, for those five years so there was those two very conflicting selves right there was zero integration between the two oh, okay so obviously you've been working with a lot of experts having experts on your podcast around mental health yep. scientists whatnot um you know counselors what is going on uh based on the those experts that you spoke yep. to yep. regarding to that like sort of manic depressive roller coaster right sure, yeah yeah, there's a there's a lot of different answers I have to this. My whole life I've been looking for the answer. Mm-hmm. And I think at this stage, I'm still pretty young, I'm 27. 
But I think I've just realized there is no one answer. I think it's a combination of lots of different things. My working theory as such, and it, it changes and it evolves and it adds and removes quite frequently, is that something to do with the inflammatory response in the body. If you look at the depressed brain, it's always an inflamed brain. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talk about inflammation in lots of different circles. That seems to be the most consistent thread that I can see in my own life is something to do with inflammation. So I would get physically sick, something like a chest infection, and my body would have an overblown response to that sickness that would lead to some sort of depression. Now, the whole manic depressive bipolar piece is where I'm a little bit less schooled in. Mm. But I'm wondering if in that season of my life, is that what caused bipolar? Mm. There's a you know professor I love, uh, Stephen Lardy, and he talks about how you know you have physical ruts in your brain, and the more times you do something, yeah. the more deep and defined Great. those grooves become. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if, in some ways. I was indirectly training my brain. Yeah, reinforcing. To have yeah, two totally. modes, mm. super on yeah, and super, super off. off. Right, and they both fed into each other. Yeah, mm. and so, you know, it's interesting now, again, the, the term bipolar only came into my life two years ago, mm. uh, which is really interesting. And that's opened up a whole different kind of realm of exploration for me. But like you said, I do think they're linked. And a lot of kind of like bipolar literature and, and kind of community would say like, what goes up must come down. Mm. And there does seem to be a pretty solid trend between the highs and the lows. And one of the kind of like underspoken parts of bipolar is if you want to manage the lows, one of the best ways to do that is manage the highs. And so, but you're a teenager, every teenager wants to suck as much marrow out of life as possible, you know? Yes. They want to carpe the DMs, my mm. friend jokes. And so I would just push really hard to get the high as much as possible and then just, okay, if I crash and burn, I crash and burn. I also think there's a lot in there, and this is like a slightly different answer, I think there's a lot in there about just like the programming we receive as young high achievers. I've always been really academic. It's just something that came naturally to me, never studied, was a terrible student and was just straight A's. It just it just comes to me. Mm. I have an audio memory and I can just remember. You know, I'd be sitting in the exam and I remember the class. I wasn't even listening to the teacher, but somewhere in the back of my head, I remember like, oh yeah, this is what they said about the cell membrane, like blah, 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 blah. blah. Naturally gravitated towards English and subjects like that history where you, you've got a little more gray area that you can play with. It's not as defined, black and white answers. So uh, I found myself there and obviously, you know, I would remember quotes and passages really, really easily. But I know I was put on like a grammar stream over here, which is like they're very focused on like you need to become a doctor and a lawyer, that sort of stuff. Right. And I think that like high performing, constantly reach for the stars, mm -hmm. get your self-worth from your success, mm. also fed into it. Okay. Because, and I can only say that because I've only started to experience true healing in the last few years. And I think it's something to do with finding and living in that middle space. Mm-hmm finding that contentment, not pushing yourself to 110% in every single area of your life, every single day for three years straight. The whole topic of burnout, I think is really interconnected with depression and bipolar as well. Yeah. 
because anecdotally I've just found that the the slower I go, the more relaxed I become, the more unhurried I am, the less busy I am, the healthier I am, both both physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there was a lot of that in there. That's probably what my 16 to early 20s journey was. It was battling with the the demon of success mm. and the demon of, uh, you know, that constant burnout trajectory where it was push, 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 crash. Oh, crap. Why have we crashed? This isn't part of the plan. Quickly get the engines back up again so we can go back to space, you know? Right. Yep. So at what point uh, were you managing just a little bit over time or you, by the time you hit your like 20s, you started the podcast was this where you started to really find yourself, find your your, your feet? Yeah, so uh, the kind of next big milestone in the journey was at 16. So I had kind of this like the second come to Jesus moment, okay, where those five years between 11 and 16, I kind of just like forgot about it. Like I just kind of was like, you know, you have that moment you're like, you've saved me, I'll give my everything to you. And then like kind of, you know, like three months later, you're just kind of like, ah, I'm just going to do things my way, you know? Yeah. And I remember the guy in front of me in Maz class, a guy called Steve, he turned around to me one day and he was like, do you want to go to Germany over summer? And I was like, what's in Germany? And he goes, there's this big conference, it's called Teen Street, you'll love it. And I was like, give me more. And he goes, Honestly, there's girls from every country. The France, Italy, there's like 2,000 young people there. And I was like, dude, say no more. Why, why did you not open with that? <laughs> so we all... Now uh, you tell me. Yeah, yeah. We all hopped on a bus. Uh, there's probably like, I'm going to say there's about 100 of us, two buses. And we drove 30 hours to Germany, this place called Offenburg. Really yeah. cute, quaint, old little town and then just like in the middle of like was it a, a football stadium or a basketball stadium or something they had this huge conference for teenagers and uh you know that experience was so profound for me because i i i had a couple of really key moments there uh one of them was we had this like simulation i guess would be the best way to describe it like uh dramatic acting experience where okay think of like a haunted house with paid actors you go in and the actors are part of the thing we had something like that around the topic of human trafficking right mm, wow so we were basically we had to like consent to everything and then we were put in this room and we were like these guys stormed in and like blindfolded us wow threw us in the back of the van Jeez. and then took us to a, br a brothel and it was all like very, very realistic, like needles on the ground, like, you know, these incredible actors pretending to be like, you know, high out of their mind on heroin and stuff. And we would sit down and we were just dropped in the room, no cues, no nothing. And you were like in the room exploring. We started talking to, you know, the, the prostitute or whatever. And she starts telling her story. And, you know, I think we were in India or something like that. And I remember coming out of that and just like, having the fabric of my world unraveled mm. Mm. and really strongly just felt this deep injustice, this deep desire to go. Mm. And probably a lot of Messiah complex in there as well. Okay, let's be honest about it. Like, 
I, how can I live my life now knowing that this stuff exists? Yeah. And this was part of that conference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part like, of the conference. Like, we yeah, meet yeah. all these hot chicks from all <laughs> over the world. Yeah, and, and so I, I remember, like, we were taken and we had, like, a debrief with, like, a, a professional afterwards, and they basically walked us through stuff. And I just remember at that point, like, I was like, I want to, when I grew up, I want to, like, be the people that, like, go and, like, bust the doors down mm -hmm. and, like, rescue the people and blah, 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 blah. It was really into you know, human trafficking and all that stuff afterwards. But I think the key takeaway from that was felt a real deep-seated call to go overseas, mm -hmm. uh, particularly in that, like, missional context. And so that was one of the experiences. The other experience was uh, kind of like another spiritual moment where I think it was a, a night of worship where, you know, everyone was just letting go. We were singing songs. We were raising the hands. We were doing all this stuff. And I just, again, this really, really soft, soft voice just being like, well, how has the last five years been for you? I remember being like, not so great. And I remember, you know, the same sort of voice saying like, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Uh, I see you've been trying to do it your way. And that's cool. That's fine. I, but I just want to ask you, do you want to continue doing it your way or would you like to go my way? And it was like a real crossroads moment. And I, I remember just like, again, in that moment of just like complete surrender, I was like, I'm going to do it your way because my way is just not working for me. Hmm. That was the second experience. And the third experience, which really actually out of all of them was subtly the most profound of them all, is I started talking to people. So this guy, Steve, who invited me, uh, we really, really connected. And there was three or four other guys on that trip. And actually, just like a big shout out to, like, you know, these grown men leaders who drove us out there, who slept in tents with us. You know, the biggest tent I've ever seen in my life. There's probably like a thousand people inside. And I mean, the, some hilarious stories. You can imagine getting a bunch of 16 year Yeah, it guys. sounds like pre-Burning Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It pretty much is. Like, it was wild. And yeah, I mean, were, Burning Man at yeah. that time. It was, it was this is like a Christian version. But, but like, you know. Is was, it Christian? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay. Like, those guys, they give up a whole week of their lives. Mm -hmm. And they were just, the only reason they were there was basically to listen to us, you know. And it was the first time in my life I ever opened up about my mental health. First time I ever opened up about pornography. And this amazing thing happens, which, you know, in hindsight now, you know it's going to happen, but there was the, yeah, me too. Yeah. Oh, wow. my goodness. Okay. I, I can't believe you've said that. Mm. I've kept the secret for five years. Okay. I felt like a freak. Mm. I felt like the worst person ever. But this sounds like a real legit, like, uh, institution where it's real. You know, people are not just buttering things up or sweeping under the carpet. Yeah, and yeah. Like a lot of these organizations. Sure, but a lot of it was kind of like... A, I can't think of any other word other than grassroots. This was the unofficial. Okay, part of the and so this was like maybe like a young. This was like, so we we were kind of like in a say a group of like six people, mm -hmm. one or two male leaders, and the rest kind of guys your own age. And the the older leaders they were basically just facilitators, yeah. and a lot of the time they just literally got out of the way and let us do our thing. Yeah, but yeah. The relationships I made there, and tapping into that honesty, was probably the biggest game changer out of them all. Yeah, the point um, I was getting at is the fact that the organization had adapted to the times yeah. and, you know, was talking about real world issues. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, dude, so, yeah, to your point, like, there was seminars that you could go to. I remember going to a seminar 
and the guy literally, I think, I, I don't know what, we were kind of clickbaited into it, because then he, <laughs> then he just started the seminar, and he goes, okay, who here watches porn? And everyone was like, whoa, no, 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 you can't say that. Like, you know, we're like hyper-religious people. Yeah, like, you can't, yeah. you can't ask us yeah, that. Yeah. And he was just so, like... Direct. And, and, and he was direct, and he was more of, like, a scientist. Like, mm. wasn't really an empath. Like, didn't really have a lot of, like, good... He, he was, was just objective. He was like, he's like yeah. here's the facts. Yeah. He's like, this is how many people are watching online. This is how many under 13-year-olds are watching online. Wow. This is some of the early signs coming out of how it's... And he's basically just like, look... Like, I know this is affecting you guys. Like, let's talk about it. Mm. And no one said anything. You know, no one raised the hand. No one engaged. Everyone, like... But I think that, in some ways, created... It set the table to allow us to have that really awkward 16-year-old shy experience where you're like, so, uh, like, mm. what did you think about what that guy was saying? Do you know right, I mean? right. But usually it'd be, at least in my experience, it was older guys would be like, oh, yeah, I would jerk off all the time. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, you guys jerk off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, don't you? And yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I do yeah. jerk off. You jerk off. Yeah. You know, exactly. like, it's like a big party, exactly. right? Like a coming out thing. Yeah, so it, whenever that, you know, the cat was out of the bag, so to speak, what that did for us was it gave us an intimacy in our relationships. It fast-tracked intimacy whenever you kind of have that. And the only thing I can relate it to, and I, I feel like sometimes I feel a little bit inappropriate when I say this, but it felt like the same level of connection that like guys in AA have with each other. Mm. Yeah. You know, you're just straight in there yeah. because all the other stuff just falls away. You're totally having a human connection with somebody. And that overflowed into like a bit of a, a movement within our circles. You know, we came home and annoyingly so, we just started asking everybody like, do you watch porn? Like, you know, do you, is this something that you feel like you would like to stop in your life as well? And that's the key, you know, like there was, we just felt on a gut level that we don't want this. We felt trapped. We felt like this is something that we have no control over and that makes us feel weird. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, that level of intimacy spiraled into just like a really amazing friendship group and a wider circle that would meet really regularly and just talk about the real things of life, you know, divorced parents, depression, other types of addictions, how you're feeling, you know, just the, the nitty gritty real stuff of life. And again, it's funny, like... I see like the early seeds of podcasting in there as well. Yeah. It's talking about the shadow. It's getting in touch yeah, with the shadow. Yeah, I was going to say that you were pretty much, you know, isolated yeah. in your own dark cave. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was like a coming out moment for a lot of people. And, you know, those those are the guys that walk me down the aisle. You know, those Love are the that. guys that, that hold my baby daughter in their arms. Mm -hmm. They're the guys that I see at least once a week. And they're, they're you know, they're the other hobbits on the journey. Mm. And so that was the greatest gift of all that. And then just that moment where it's like, what way are you going to go? You know, I obviously had the grades to do anything I wanted. Um, that kind of set me on the path of that like social justice world. So I thought I was going to be a social worker and uh, spent, you know, three years overseas in like a, a missional context where we were working with drug addicts and homeless communities and, guys who had lost everything in earthquakes and rural parts of Africa, you know, the whole kind of smorgasbord. I can't really say that word. 
Oh, I like that word oh. though. Yeah, it's a great word. Isn't it? <laughs> smorgasbord. Yeah. I go smorgasbord. <laughs> <laughs> Add um, a little bit in. And it allowed me to experience a lot of things in a short space of time. Yeah. And again, because you're very worldly for your age too, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, obviously you were a mature 11 year old. Yeah. 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 But you've gone through so much. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's the it's experiences that mature you, rather than the years. You mm-hmm. know, I had an old Scottish pastor, and if I was a boy, and in his language, he would be like, you know, I've met lots of uh, people who say they've been Christians for sixty years old, and the truth is, they've just been one year old Christians for sixty years. Ah. <laughs> Yeah. Is Isn't that so applicable yes, to all parts absolutely. of life? And then you have people who have maybe only, in his language, have only been a Christian, you know, for, mm. for five years, but they're five years old. They've had that maturity. They've had those experience. They've had that progression through some sort of a journey. And a lot of us, we've all been there in different seasons of our life. You just stay put. You mm. stay stuck. And when you stay stuck, you don't move. And often you can't progress to the next level. You can't go on the next journey until you've finished Finish that level. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you know, new level, new devil, or, you know, uh, every level comes with a bigger boss. Mm, I, I the thing that, that comes to me is uh, the cross between vulnerability and courage. Mm. So it seemed like you, whether it's somebody admitting in public that they chronically masturbate, you sure. know, or watch porn or whatever, it's like, it takes like one person to go ahead and like speak up about it, yeah. you know, and then it's like, okay, well, shoot, I'm not the only one. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. It's interesting that actually one of my life mottos is always go first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's interesting, like even in a, from everything, like from a vulnerability perspective to a social perspective. You see that all the time. Yeah, I always like, I always operate with, and it's, it, yeah, I always operate with, like, you have to be the one to go first. Right. So I don't wait for anyone to invite me over. Maybe we've had someone over for dinner, like, three times. I'm just like, I'm not, I don't need to wait for them to, I, it's their turn now. It's like, no, 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 always go first. And that that's just, like, it's a mentality that's really served me. And, like, and I genuinely mean this, it's served the projects, the movements, the things that I've been involved in. Leading. Yeah, it's 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 a form of leadership. Mm-hmm. And actually, I've had some really interesting language recently come into my life. It's been this word facilitation. Yeah, or and initiator. Actually, if, I, if I think about who I am, mm. I'm actually a facilitator. Yeah. yeah. And I have, I, I'm not a leader in the classic sense. Like we were talking about off mm-hmm. mic, I'm not a CEO. Mm-hmm. I'm not a type A. I don't have the the resilience to to be like a Churchill. You know, I would be I would be in bed by like day three. That's not me. You're not the cool. general. I'm not the general. Oh, that's good. I might write that down actually. Give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> not the general. It's a, why I love podcasts. Well, that's I funny because uh, I mean, when you see people in a group situation, they invite someone to speak up. Do you see people like kind of look around? All the time, right? And, yeah. and it's usually like the one person that just yeah. steps up to the plate. Yeah. So it's, it's it's facilitation. Like there's a lovely kind of phrase. I interviewed like a hospitality mogul over here. He's, not, you know, he's very, very businessy, but he said the most poetic thing. He works in hospitality. He owns half of Belfast. And he said, I was like, why are you into hospitality? And he says, because hospitality sets the stage for people to live their lives. And he says, I get to be a part of that. 
And for me, actually, what I love is I love setting the table for other people. There's definitely been times in my life where I've had to work through being chronically in that mode of servitude mm. and not finding your own space or standing up to take your own place or stand up for yourself or your own boundaries or whatever. I've, I think I've been on that journey in a pretty significant way. But now I'm on the other side of that. It's even more powerful because I choose to set the table for other people and I genuinely get a real kick out of it. Um, there was other times where I kind of was doing it even whenever I didn't want to or I felt pressured into doing it or I was violating my own boundaries or my own conscience. Uh, in doing so and that was the big journey of my overseas my, sorry my big takeaway of my overseas experience was learning to find my own limits yeah because I would just give it all because I thought that's what a, a good Christian boy is supposed yep. to do you know <laughs> I was like what would Jesus do and did you get the kissing disease again <laughs> I just got like you know I definitely experienced burnout yeah you know and in, in, in different forms and, and at some points in quite significant ways and, but that was a really beautiful experience to realize. Again, it's like, I'll fast track this whole segment by saying, do you know the story of Michelangelo and David, the statue? You ever heard this? Just chis chiseling away. Yeah. Yeah. So he was interviewed and he goes, how did you make it? It was already such a, there. Such yeah. a beautiful statue. Yeah. yeah. And he said, oh, I just chipped away all the parts that weren't David. Yeah. And I feel like those years of my life in particular, but to be honest, every day, I'm just chipping away the parts that aren't me. That's beautiful. I love that. And the masterpiece. Yeah, because it's already there. Yeah. Do you know? Mm -hmm. And that, I feel like I've lost so much of that striving that I carried. And I feel like I am more comfortable in my own skin than I've ever been. And just really in a compassionate, non You've been down way. to like the the package down there? Yeah. <laughs> Chiseling away. Like, Chiseling. Oh, there's the eight pack. I'm like, the eight pack, eight pack going a little, little lower. Uh, get, a, get to choose uh, your package down, yeah, choose, down below there. Your and, but yeah, like it's, uh, I think that's the core focus now of, I don't know if you want to call it personal development or self-care, but it's, hmm, what parts of this domain in my life am I operating or am I playing a character that's not really me, you know? And back to the depression thing. I am a guy that subscribes primarily to biological causes and treatments of depression. So, for example, you know, the, the guy that I'm and my business partner uh, Steve Nalardi, he wrote a book called The Depression Cure, and his big thing is depression is a disease of civilization. So he his whole thesis is basically, if you live the way your great-great-great-grandmother did, 90% of you wouldn't be depressed. You know, if you ate right, slept right, moved right, breathed right, were in nature, were connected with community the way that we're designed to be, got your eight hours of sleep, didn't live such stressed lives, you're pretty much going to be 90% of the way there. So that's, that's kind of my foundation, and I, I believe that pretty strongly. I do think there is this kind of other 10%, and Jim Carrey's got a great quote on it. He says, depression is your body refusing to play the character that you're forcing it to play. Mm. And I do think there is something really significant in that as well. Yeah. And I'm definitely not there. 100%, I don't mm. think you can ever be. Mm. But even in, in recent years, I find myself just 
refusing to play a character uh, that isn't who I am. Was know? there a shift in that, like, scale balance, though, where you were teetering and then it poof, went on to, like, the more side where there was less resistance to being hospitable to people and actually uh, taking the initiative to facilitate you know, hospitality, was there a point in your, you know, travels where you're doing the mission work, did you feel something where you were less resistant, like uh, like a graduation or something, like a moment? Yeah, so I would say that the, the openness, the servitude, the hospitality, the setting the table, that's always just been easy for me. It's always been the bread and butter. The bit that's been hard for me is saying no. No, yeah. The Putting bit, your own boundaries. Yeah, it's been boundaries. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a story in the Old Testament about uh, the Israelites wandering around the desert for 40 years. And I think, like, a lot of like the, a lot of years have just been wandering around, like, in a circle, like, not completing the journey. It's like, you're stuck in this limbo until you learn how to say no. And I think the, my graduation was starting to use the two-letter word N-O uh, more frequently in my life. Okay. And it wasn't like a big wham-bam. I can tell you kind of like significant milestones along the way. It sounds simple, but like actually the book Essentialism, I don't know if you've ever read it. Oh, yeah, I heard about yeah, that. Essentialism yeah, Essentialism by yeah. Greg McKeown. Just like, again, chipping away. Yeah, so yeah. his whole thing is uh, choosing less but better. Mm-hmm. And that set me off on a pretty significant journey that I, I kind of, refer to as like pursuing the deep instead of the wide and so kind of like the big kind of like razzle dazzle moments in that journey would have been like you know coming off social media entirely completely redefining my work life being really focused on the types of work that i do you know i was doing marketing i was doing social media management i was doing copywriting i was studying in university i was doing podcasting and really just saying no 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 like Let's go deep, not wide. In my personal life, uh, culling a lot of relationships, uh, particularly relationships that didn't honor boundaries, relationships that didn't fill me up, and creating a very clear distinction of this is how I serve the world, and these are the relationships where it's just 100% give, and I don't expect anything back, and these are the relationships where I actually get something from, and I'm going to prioritize them as well because they are my lifeblood. They are the things that allow me to do the other bits. Mm-hmm. And so slowly but surely, like uh, we used to have a men's group that would meet in normal baths, a little bit AA style. We would meet and just be like, so like, you know, what's been good, bad and ugly in your week? And people would just bare their souls. And it was really beautiful. There was a guy there and uh, in Lord of the Rings at the very start of the Fellowship of the Ring, like Sauron, the big body, he's got this f- huge flail. And he like, there's this moment where he like swings it and he knocks like 30 people back. And we made a gif of that. And uh, we call it the no flail. And so like anytime, like, (laughs) (laughs) no, it's like there's 30 people asking you to come to an event. And then, you know, someone would put in the group, it's like, dude, just exercise the no flail today. Right, right. And I bet it is like a muscle. And Mm. I say no. I say no, like probably like to like nine times out of 10 things in my life now. And I'm super comfortable doing it. Yeah. Or... I'm human, you know, like I overextend myself with commitments, with things, and I'm so comfortable not just buying out and not being worried about what people think. Because mm-hmm. I, I would, you know, oh no, like, what about my integrity? Like, what about this? Like, what about that? And I'm like, dude, like, it was prioritizing 
like it's just a cliche. It's like putting your own mask on first, you know, on a plane and realizing that if you don't do that, it's just not going to work. Yeah. And it's interesting, like even like redefining my faith. I, I don't I don't really like that phrase. Let me take that back. Rediscovering who Jesus actually was and reading the same stories I read my whole life and starting to understand a little bit more of the truth of them. Mm. And like the amount of times Jesus said no yeah. is startling. Right, I yeah. read an amazing book recently called The Overload Syndrome. This is actually a funny story. I read this book when I was 16. I found it in a charity shop when I was searching for a bow tie for a formal. <laughs> and I picked it up. It's an ugly cover. It's not an attractive looking book. And I picked it up and I devoured it. I think it was written in like 1994. It's a cool title. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was this doctor who like prophetically was warning us about the dangers of beepers and email and home computers and what he thinks it's going to do to society. Wow. Mm, all and, the pings. Yeah, all the pings and how, you know, he talks about like what busy overloaded lives people are living in the 80s. And you read it and you laugh at it now yeah, because it, it, it's it's no compare. Like mm. uh, a mom of two kids, mm. a stay-at-home mom of two kids even, is living like their plate is as full as like a executive banker in the 60s. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's crazy the lives that we live. And he was seeing people coming in who were experiencing all sorts of diseases, you name it, blah, 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 blah. But he says, you know, that's just a symptom. What you're really experiencing is overload syndrome. It's like you have no margin. You're completely depleted. Your stress levels are through the roof. You've no space in your life to be human. So I read that book, really set me on a path to where I am today, even with technology and boundaries I have in place with the digital world. And I gave that book to one of my best friends and he gave it back to me last month. Wow. He was clearing out his cupboard and he says, mate, I think you give this to me like when we were teenagers. And I reread it. Dude, it was a timely word for me. Mm -hmm. It's all about limits. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the theology of human limits and how God designed humans with limits. He says, you cannot get away from that. And we all try to live these limitless lives. And he talks about how different people have got different limits. Kind of back to the conversation. Some people are, they're cut out to be a CEO. Some yep. people are generals, right? Yep. right. And we need them. Yep. And we need them to step up and take their place in society and lead us They have like war. that sort of propensity, like natural yeah. capacity for The capacity for it. Like, yeah. you know, without the generals, like we wouldn't have jobs to go to. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they play such an important role in society. But he talks about how different people have got different limits. And he starts talking about Jesus. And oh my goodness like shows you time and time again of Jesus saying no, mm -hmm. Jesus removing himself from situations, Jesus actually like sending his mom away because he doesn't want to talk to her, and, you know, because, and you're like, oh, how have I never seen this? Exactly, it's so there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's there, and you know. By the way, you're talking to Jesus right now. <laughs> Some people say, you know, they've stopped their car and they're like, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. Do you know what? Like, it would be way better if like your image was in the Sunday School stories instead of yeah, this yeah. like Caucasian, like, yeah. Yeah. white Jesus you're like blue blue eyes yeah, yeah blonde mean, hair you're not exactly Hebrew looking but it would be at least a step in the right direction oh, dark <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. And, but you know even just simple things like dude like Jesus didn't heal everybody in Israel he frequently walked past people who needed help he frequently turned away 
people. Mm. And it was just so refreshing. You and know? you saw that? You reread that in the Bible? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. But I wonder as well, it, that's the discernment as well, because not everybody wants to be healed. Not everybody wants to have. Oh, dude, not ready. Now you're preaching. <laughs> but, it, but it's so true, though. Do you know what I mean? Because well, there's that like, story where he literally asked the person, do you yeah, want to be healed? Exactly. I always was like, what type of a question is that? And then, you you know, like you say, you get to this age and you're like, oh, people don't actually want to be healed. They, they don't want to change. Because it's such a shift and a change yeah. in your identity. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast today with Shane Flynn. Jeez. You got to listen. Really? Yeah. So good. So good. And he was explaining all about, you know, you've got, you know, the different clients that were coming to him with chronic pain, mm. injuries, chronic illnesses, etc. And how he's kind of broken them down into like kind of three sets of people that are coming heavy on the cortisol, heavy on the adrenaline or angry. Interesting. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Like it was like amazingly good because I was like, oh, right. OK, clearly I'm a cortisol junkie with quite a bit of anger in there. Yeah. And I was feeling so elated and then I just nosedived. I just felt so depressed because it was just like, I've got such a mountain to climb to not go through this shit cycle that I keep going through because it's just so ingrained in there. It is. Um, And it's like... It's like an operating system. Exactly. And it's like now I'm looking at it and it's like I can see what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And it was super clear and so enlightening. Yeah. But it's like got some work to put in here Absolutely. because those boundaries those those looking after myself you I mean i was always the server mm. to, always to my detriment yeah the times i got sick because i was looking after everybody yeah. else never looking after myself and like all that pitting in boundaries i'm only figuring that in now and i like mm. love it that you're you're pretty much there and yeah. i'm thinking yeah. oh, i'm so much more ahead what yeah. would you give that reference to in terms of the gif with the fella that's like the badass just throwing the flog and hitting 30 like people and knocking them all over what kind of like word would you give for that in your operating system like a tool what would you say could it seem like a, a version of like a code upgrade that now you have that you can refer to in the moments where you come across someone asking for something of you and you're just like i don't have that capacity and and then you just in your mind had the flog, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you could just knock a bunch of things out of your life that's unessential. Yeah, totally. Do you have like a specific, even like, um, you know, a shift where you, you, you got that download? Was there something that you felt upgraded or, you know, like it was interesting to see for me when people – are different from one moment to the next because they do have that aha moment. Mm. But it's not just, again, as we talked about in prior episodes, with, it's not a state change. It's literally a graduation to a new stage yeah, of yeah, development yeah. Yeah. where you can't even go back there yeah. to that old version of you. I think like just a kind of visual response that I have to that is it's a little bit like when you start, say training yourself with push-ups and you know you, you start off and you can do three push-ups and then you keep training and then like three months later you can do 10 push-ups and then two years later you can do like 20 push-ups and then five years later you're banging out like 50 push-ups and it is gradual but then all of a sudden you have this moment where you're like oh my goodness i can do 30 push-ups do you know what i mean right so like in the day-to-day in the decision by decision you don't really notice that you're getting stronger 
you're saying no to this, you're saying no to that, you're learning to honor different commitments. And then you realize over time, you're like, I'm getting really good at this. And when I say good, I mean, I'm getting really comfortable with this. Mm. Because for a lot of times at the start, you would say no and you would feel so guilty and you would feel the shame. And it would come to you. And so you've done the right thing, but you feel terrible about it. But or, did you get a lot of backlash from it? Because I've got some serious backlash. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's it's learning to be comfortable with the backlash yeah. as well. Uh, I've read an amazing book on boundaries. I think it's actually just called Boundaries. And they talk about like, what are boundaries? Boundaries are the kind of fences around your property. Okay. So you have your property. I have my property. You have your property. And so... What's inside my property is my business. So you'll invite me to come to your barbecue next Thursday and I'll say to you, oh, Tony, thank you so much for the offer, but Thursday is actually date night. You can set your house on fire. You can smash things. You can go crazy. You can get on your yard and scream at the top of your lungs. That's not on my property. That's all to do with you. And learning to realize where I begin and where I end and where you begin is so, so, so crazy because I'm not responsible for people's reactions. Mm. And ultimately, nine times out of ten, people are looking for you to do something for them. Yeah. So you don't, there's no obligation, you know? Like anything that you give is a gift and it should be received as such. There's relationships in your life where there's actual commitment and there is give and take and that's important to have too. But I can't have that with like a random podcast listener or an old client or an old friend. Like we need to to give each other permission to say no as mm. well. And that's, I think part of the big journey for me is it's the classic, like do to others as you would have them do to you. Learning to manage your own reaction to when people say no to you is really helpful in your own journey. I think something weird going on there. I don't really have language for it, but. Yeah, mm. yeah it's interesting with uh, maybe, I don't know if it's so, I guess it's worldwide, but that like crab in the bucket mentality, you know, where, you're trying to get out of it into some new version of yourself or a vision that you have and people around you just like the old you, they don't like you changing, you know? And so you talked about having like a calling happening where you decided who you wanted to hang out with, but there was also a calling where maybe people didn't really want to hang out with you anymore, right? Like, was there a period where you felt sad because you miss Maybe you thought these people in particular were going to be on your path. And, you know, it turns out a lot of them just fell off to the wayside and you just felt yeah. lonely for a while because there's also that. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's been there's been tremendous loss. Mm. There's no other way to describe it. Like there's been some like the the most core relationships you can imagine. Some of them have fallen by the wayside on the journey. And. There is genuine grief. You know, you genuinely mourn those relationships. Mm -hmm. And some of those relationships, the way they currently stand, they look like there's no real way back, you know. And I I am an optimist. I'm a anything can happen. And I believe that... Your door is always open. Yeah, the door's open. Yeah. And anything can happen. And maybe it'll take five years. Maybe it'll take 10 years. You don't know. Yeah. So there's genuine grief there. And I want to say that before I say what's next, because I think it's easy to say the next bit and sound really cocky and egotistical and I don't give a damn. That's not true. But there is this kind of like other side to it where it also shows you who the real ones are. Right. You know? Right. And part of it is, 
I, I do also genuinely take a certain level of responsibility because if I've been projecting a false self to somebody for 10 years and then I tap into my true self, in some ways the other person has a right to be pissed off because they're like, why you been lying to me for 10 years, bro? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I never thought about it that yeah, way. Yeah, like it's the, brilliant. The, there's a lovely yeah. phrase uh, called, uh, I don't even know where this comes from. No, I won't be able to get it. I'll just say it anyway. Um, the guy said, like, it's really important to set your stall out early. And he was talking about it particularly with faith. So he's like, if if you're like, uh, yeah. if, if faith is so important to you and you like go to church all the time and you're like, faith, 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 Jesus, 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 Jesus. And you work with somebody for seven years. <laughs> and then seven years later, it, you kind of accidentally let it slip that you're like Christian. They're kind of going to be a little bit pissed because they're like, dude, like. I feel betrayed here. Even if I hate Christianity and I think you're the dumbest person in the world, I kind of feel like you've deceived me here, bro. And I think that there's a lot of overlap there for lots of other areas in our lives, you know. And so I think the truer you can be, the faster you can set out your stall. Mm. It's it's just it, that it's integrity, you know. I had an old manager, learned so much from him, and he said, integrity is not about being faultless. He says, integrity is about being falseless. He says, it's not about being perfect. It's just about being honest. Mm -hmm. And I think revealing those parts of you sooner, whether it's the boundaries, it's just going to be beneficial. You know, like now I am a terrible digital communicator. You know, I don't respond to emails. I don't respond to, to you know, messages for maybe days or weeks at a time. And I've actually learned to put things in place like autoresponders or even if I meet new people, I'm like, look, by the way, if you really need me, call me on my brick phone. This is the number because I just want to be clear about the expectations up front or I mightn't get back to you for a while. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. So kind of getting ahead of it a little bit and being yeah. up front with people yeah. also is a way to kind of like avoid unnecessary unnecessary like road bumps as well you know mm -hmm. like i think there's there's a little bit of a culture where or it's some change like, on their end yeah you know like, like it, this guy's like a dick open communication yeah instead of like there's kind of like a little bit of like this toxic culture even in the like minimalism movement where it's just kind of like well that's just who i am and you just have to accept it and like that and that is true, but like you can at least like guide people yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah, along yeah, that, yeah. as opposed to like intentionally giving them like brick walls mm -hmm. to hit against. Yeah, know? yeah. Interesting. Any uh, thoughts there, Judy? Um, it was making me think about um, a book that I'm recently uh, been listening to on Audible called Four Thousand Weeks." You read it? This is uh, so Walter, good. somebody, or uh, he's. Uh, I want to say Oliver, but I can grab Oliver my phone. Berkman. Maybe, maybe, maybe. It's on my, it's I think so it's on my reading list. It's like a, one of the top books right now on yeah. Amazon or something. Brilliant. And do you know what the 4,000 week stands for? It's the, your working life? No, your actual your life. Your actual life? Your actual life. Oh my goodness. It's like pretty much that's what you're dealing with. Maybe a little bit less, maybe mm. a little bit more. And he isn't like right at the start. He's kind of like, well, let's say you live to like, Maybe longer, maybe you live to like yeah. 85, so you've only got, and then it'll go 4,000 da 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 weeks, and you're like, geez, that sounds like nothing. Yeah. Because it can just go like that. Yep. And he, he was saying so many things that you were saying basically about basically my life is saying no now to yeah. 90 plus percent of all the opportunities because ultimately you have, 
you can't do everything. No, you can't. You'll never do everything. No. You'll never master all the emails that come through. You'll yeah. never master all the expectations other people have of you. You'll never master all of that. It just will never happen. Mm. You can't do it. Accept defeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the thing. The yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just like so refreshing to hear it. And I'm like, of course, of course. And it's interesting as well because like my background was so kind of like full on, you know, very abusive, very violent. I didn't understand so many basic things about social cues mm. and social responsibilities and boundaries and other people's feelings and that that wasn't my responsibility and that, you know, all of these things. There's so much that I'm still kind of figuring out now and hearing yeah. this in this book, I'm like, geez, everybody needs to listen to this. Yeah. Because there's so many ways that you're always thought time management, time management and multitasking and da 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 and it's like that's just killing everybody. Mm -hmm. It's killing mm -hmm. everybody. I mean, yeah. just making everybody so sick. And it's like, no wonder, no wonder everybody's struggling. Yeah. Because the limits piece, like, this is something I've been thinking a lot about recently is, let's say, like, the average high performer works 60 hours. That's kind of like a middle of the road number. There's mm -hmm. people that work a lot a more. A lot, lot more, yeah. There's people that 80, work 100, yeah. Okay. So let's play a game. Like, let's say it's 60. All right. Push it harder, let's say 70. Really push it, say 80. Say you're an absolute freak that can work 100 hours a week. There you go, you've hit your limit. Like, the difference between 70 and 100 hours a week, the difference between 50 and 70 hours, the difference between 40, you know, the difference between working 30 hours a week versus 40 hours a week. Big difference. Big difference. But you hit a limit no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I think as we need to kind of reprogram ourselves to set lower limits. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, because the difference between, like, and this is this is coming from a place of privilege and I'm aware of it and an idealistic world, but like, what would families look like if people worked 30 hours instead of 40 hours? And <laughs> really, what are you losing on the productivity front? Not much. Yeah. Those extra 10 hours you're not gaining anything ridiculous from them. But from a life perspective, you're gaining everything. Like we said earlier, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Yeah. You gain like 80 points of soul mm. for 20 points of productivity. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's like the difference between starting work or ending work at four o'clock versus six o'clock. Mm -hmm. What are you doing between four and six, really? Right. That's the time where, like, people start scrolling on TikTok. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But, like, what they could go and pick their kids up from school. They could go to the gym. They could drive to the beach. There's so much you can do by actually just lowering your limits, mm -hmm. even by a small amount. And, and I've been thinking about that so much. Amazing. And the ability to go deeper on those 30 hours. Dude. Yeah, totally. Like pure Absolutely. quality, but like... I think also as well, because the, the fulfillment, fulfillment then, yeah. because you are there, you're there, you're present, you're focused. You're yeah. like, I'm here for this time. I'm going to do my best that I can within yeah. that space of time. Because leaving a job where you could never fulfill the role mm -hmm. because it was more piled on, more piled on. You got more efficient, you got more piled on. Yeah, more that's the thing. On. Yeah, it was so depressing. Your efficiency gets... It gets you in trouble. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And it was so you depressing. get punished for being effective. Exactly. Mm. Which is why I think that's why I've gravitated towards being a business owner mm. because your uh, effectiveness and efficiency, you get rewarded with freedom. Yes. 
No, that's an act of choice. You have to constantly fight against because you also can be the worst boss in the world for yourself because you can do the thing that your former employer would do where you then just try to exchange more efficiency for more profit and you work the same amount and whatever. But I have made a conscious decision, even actually what we were talking about off mic about not building a big business. Mm -hmm. You know, I... I've made a conscious effort to always be trying to give myself a time rise or freedom rise instead of a pay rise. I love that. And um, but that's also it's a it's an issue of contentment and it's okay. I'm going to drive this car instead of that car. I'm going to live in this house instead of that house. Yeah. Uh, back to the whole deep not wide thing. I love the kind of Homer Greek mythology stuff about sirens. You know, in the sea, and they would sing. And then the sailors would kind of be enchanted by their song and they would end up on the in the rocks. Mm-hmm. If you really look at that, it's so beautiful. Like there's a reason why the classics are the classics. Like the sirens would always sit on the shallow rocky shore and they would always pull people away from the deep. Mm-hmm. And so the siren call of our generation, it's things like success. It's things like distraction. It's things like addiction. Mm-hmm. It's things like debt. It's things that bind us and, and remove our freedom and they pull us from the depth into the shallow and that's where all the rocks are mm. you know amazing and so the stick the earwax in dude the resistance to the siren's call I think there's three different examples mm, strap I, yourself to the yes got it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. the yeah. friend of so, shit so, so the first one is <laughs> rope the first one is bind yourself to the mast mm-hmm. so that's kind of like in Christian terms, you probably say like, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Yeah. So like, if your smartphone causes you to sin, and my definition of sin is a loss of life. So if that thing pulls you away from life, then you need to cut it off. So th- like, if you throw your smartphone away, you cannot check your smartphone. Right, you remove the 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 ability to choose in a scenario. You know, Odysseus. He tied himself up. He wanted to break free. He wanted to run into the siren's arms, but he couldn't because he tied himself to the mast. The second thing he the, was, like you said, the earwax. So you quiet out the noise, right? So you, you remove the noise. You focused yourself in. And the third one, I think, is the most beautiful. There's another time where they were crossing and they got want someone on board to pull out the lyre. You know, of course, every Greek story for some reason has a lyre. I don't even know what a lyre is. In my head, it's like a little fiddle, violin thing, harp. Oh, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. And they pulled out the lyre and someone starts playing really beautiful music. And so I think there's a lot of talk about tying yourself to the mast, throw away your smartphone, put this website blocker on, delete your social media. Those are all excellent. Like Greg McKeown, he talks about decisions that make a thousand decisions for you, where you make one decision and it removes many other decisions. I personally don't need to worry about managing my social media usage because I don't have it. Yeah. You know, one big decision, boom, a thousand dominoes have been removed from me. That's really important. That's really good. But this idea of seeking and actively building and creating music that is so beautiful and so rich that it actually outperforms the song and the sirens mm, is incredible. I love that. That's amazing. You know? yeah. And to kind of maybe bring this home a little bit, like I have found that when I am not working hard on my life outside of work, things start to get a little bit nasty. 
things start to slowly kind of come apart. And if I find myself like getting into a bit of a funk in any sense of the word, it's usually because I'm not focusing on that music. I'm not focusing on getting that music to play in a way that's more appealing than the siren's call. Mm. You know, if I'm not curating really deep relationships with my friends, if I'm not making real intentional time for my family where I want to be with my family, whenever that shifts and I find that, you know, I can't wait to finish this social thing so I can get back to my work or get back to my addiction or get back to checking this thing, that's where things start getting completely out of whack. And like, you know, currently I'm in a season where I can't wait to finish work so I can go home or I can't wait to be done with this this screen time thing that I have to do, like an email or something, so I can go and exercise. And that's such a big shift because life's so hard. We have to use willpower so, so, so much. But if you can like flip it where you actually crave the thing that's good for you, mm. it's just, and Matthew McConaughey, I think, calls that running downhill. It doesn't mm. always have to be uphill. Right, you know? right, um, right. And that's kind of like, I, I guess there's a talk there on systems and mm. how you put things in place that make things automatic, but yeah. Right. Where are we at on time? That is one hour 17. One hour 17 and we were running that when you guys went to the restroom? Mm, I no. don't know. Okay. I can't anyway, remember. I think we have another like 10, 15 <laughs> minutes, but um, it's up to you. Like the thing that came across my mind again is um, you're a beautiful example of like going the opposite direction of the masses mm. and whether it was just pretty much building a business without social media, mm. um, even keeping business regular uh, like relatively smaller yeah, yeah manageable like it just seems like again you had that courage to to go the different direction than everybody else how has it been for you like what just to help others that look to you as an example that they don't have to do what everybody else is doing in regards mm. to like business per se yeah so it just seems like you work more in the, you know, analog world versus the digital, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. that it is possible to do all these things. In fact, it may be even more real to interact with people face to face and less digital digitally, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So kind of first response to that is there's a quote I love and it says, if you want to live like nobody else, then you have to live like nobody else. <laughs> and it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but I really love it mm -hmm. because so often we want the reward without change. We want the, uh, the quieter schedule without people being grumpy at us for saying no. And you just can't have both, mm -hmm. you know, like if you want to live a life that's a little bit countercultural, then you have to be ready to, experience what it's like to swim against the stream and get a couple of rocks bumped in your face and you know get tomatoes thrown at you yeah and yeah you know people like you know heckling you yeah and, mm. absolutely and you also need to accept less you know so in the business sense like and i genuinely like i do speak from a place of privilege like i've been so blessed on the business end 
and I really don't take that uh, lightly. But without a shadow of doubt, like I have chosen probably a salary of 25% of what I could get mm. if I was really pumping, mm. you know. And not everybody can... Society is set up in such a way where you can't live the life that I currently live with the amount of freedom I have if you work at McDonald's. It's not possible. And that's what I mean by privilege. Like, I have, as much as I was bashing my, my high-performance kind of track uh, and, and even being academic and stuff, like, it's, it's, it's put me in a position that other people cannot get to easily. Mm. You know, I remember hearing something really great around the times of Black Lives Matter. And they were talking about that racial inequality. And they said that, you know, all privilege is, is some people are just given like a really big head start in life. And that is, that's how I feel. You know, I've experienced a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty, but I was naturally given, I was put ha like halfway up the mountain in comparison to other people. And we were having this conversation recently that actually forget about the, the racial or even the socioeconomic aspect of that, but even in our families of origin, some of us have been putting higher up the healing mountain, naturally. <laughs> like some of us, because of our families, no matter how much money they've had or whatever, we've, had less, we've had less trauma to work mm. through right. that's allowed us to, to have a head start in the journey. Mm. And, you know, it's funny now being a parent, like a lot of my... Uh, Actually, even in my work, like I think we've talked about this before, like one of my mantras is be who you needed when you were younger. And for us, like as parents, our real desire and our gift that we want to give our, our kids is uh, as little trauma as possible. You know, <laughs> we know we're going to give them a lot because that's it's a high contact sport and we're going to get <laughs> wrong and we have our own shadows and our own stuff that we, we deal with, like everybody on the planet's going to have. But uh, we want to try and prioritize that for our own family. And mm -hmm. so that's part of the, oh, the t subtitle of essentialism is the disciplined pursuit of less. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's what the journey is. Mm -hmm. It's a disciplined pursuit of less. Mm -hmm. You're constantly working at it. Mm -hmm. uh, even possessions, I kind of touched on it with the cars and stuff like, Again, not everyone can do this. We actively are fighting against not getting a second car. Mm -hmm. Because for us, a second car is probably, I don't know, we'll just say like an extra 500 pounds a month just to keep them as simple. That's a chunk of money. That's a chunk of money that you got to put hours and brain space and effort to pursue. Right. Uh, you know, the type of house we live in. Again, coming from a privileged place, I get it. But we're in an amazing position where my wife doesn't have to work. And that's a sacrifice that she's made. That's a financial sacrifice we've made as a family. Uh, but we think it's a worthy cause. We don't have a TV in our house. That's a sacrifice. But we believe it's a worthy cause. You know, we don't have social media. We think it's a worthy cause. You miss out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm extremely out of the loop when it comes to contemporary affairs. I had a, a podcast guest in this morning, like, oh, did you hear what happened yesterday? And I was kind of like, 
uh, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I actually remember, like, when Boris Johnson became Prime Minister, I don't think I knew for, like, three weeks. <laughs> Which is so embarrassing. Like, yeah. someone that came out to me, oh, what do you think about Boris? And I was like, who, the Mayor of London? <laughs> what about so, Boris now? <laughs> I have no, no idea. Right? Yeah, no he, idea, right? He got yeah. booted out. Did he get booted yeah. out? That's so embarrassing. Don't yeah. tell people when this was recorded. Yeah. Uh, so, it's constantly trade-offs. And that's what essentialism talks about is you're constantly making trade-offs and it's the reality of trade-offs is you can't have it all like mm-hmm. you said earlier and it's making some really tough calls mm. and calls that maybe make you quote-unquote miss out on stuff but half the time the stuff you're missing out on is just not worth it you don't miss it i know we've said this a few times but like i just keep coming back to like what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul and like if we broaden that out a little bit like what would it profit a man to build a podcast empire and get divorced? Yeah. What would it profit a man to have 10 million in a passive income fund and not have a relationship with his kids? You know, what would it profit a man to make it more simple? Like uh, go on a really fancy holiday once a year and have to work an extra month to pay for it. And it's just choosing it's actively making those decisions because most of us make them on autopilot. You know, I see loads of people who don't care about cars, driving really expensive cars. They couldn't care less what they drive, but they just automatically are in the dealership and they say, I have to drive a German car. It has to be this color. It has to be this spec. Just, well, and you ask them why? And they're just like, I don't know. I have to live in this type of house. I have to live in this neighborhood. I have to go on this holiday. And they don't actually care, you know? Like, I I spend money in the places that are important to me. Like, I, I put a sauna in our garden. Love it. That's the biggest purchase I've ever made in my life. And it nearly killed me making it because I've got a weird scarcity mindset with money that I'm trying to work through. And there's people that would look at that purchase and be like, you fool, you absolute fool. How dare you buy, You spend the money on that instead Yeah, but of look at your skin, X, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing I noticed when I came back here to the studio. Jeez, this guy's skin. But you know, that, I'm that, jealous, that, and I'm a man. <laughs> That's a trade-off. Where for me, I said this is totally worth it, and it's proved to be worth it. You know, obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the business is super small. Even the podcasts are really small. You know, like and. Uh, yeah, I'm starting to ramble, so you're going to have to... But still, to though, I mean, the fact that you're still going, and it's been, what, five years or so? Yeah. Yeah, yeah incredible. And then the fact that... Love it. Yeah, you're yeah. still in it. I mean, what's time when you love what you're yeah. doing as well, yeah. you know? It's the... You know what? Like, we've always had the answers, you know? I always am thinking about, like, the turtle and the hare. And, like, like you said earlier, Jade, it's just, like, it's been staring us in the face from we were kids... Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, the answer is in our hands and we're blinded that we can't even see it. I think that's the tragedy, you know, Mm. is... But I think you're... Like, I felt like I was always taught that everybody had the answers. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It was kind of like... I suppose very heavy on the religious front. Yeah. Very heavy on the religious front when we grew up. And it was very much like, you know, constantly asking Jesus into my heart because I'd sinned. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I just yeah. thought, oh, yeah. it like abandoned me <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like a, literally a nightly thing of yeah. doing it like for years and years and years. I need to get saved every night. Totally. Yeah. And I actually remember a primary school teacher telling us exactly that. Yeah. Uh, almost as like fire insurance. It's like, oh, you should do it just in case. But it was so was sad like, because oh, it was... What a fear, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Living Where's the in father's that fear heart? Mindset. Where is it? Exactly. And never having like a... That build up of, you know, you've got this or... Mm you know, pointing out ways of being able to be better. It was kind of just more like, well, you're awful. Yeah. And you're always going to be awful. And you're going to try and be like Christ. But you're never going to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just shut up, keep down. Yeah. Keep your head down. There was never any kind of like real discipleship, real encouragement, real kind of like empowerment. And I think that's the thing. Why would I trust what I have in my hand? Yeah. Because I've been taught... There is no basis for me ever to trust my intuition, yeah. trust my gut, yeah. trust all this kind of stuff. Or just permission to fail. Yes. You know? Oh, mm. totally. I mm. had a, there was an old guy in my life for a really short season and he came up to me in church one day with like, a, he had had a vision that he felt like was for me. And he came over to me and he says, do you know what, son? You do realize that you're, Life and God's will for your life is not a tightrope. So back to being 11 years old, hearing the voice, don't do it, Matthew, because I have a plan for your life. I was like basically like hyper paranoid about define, finding out what this plan was. And if I felt like I wasn't directly in it, I was being a failure, like you were mm -hmm. saying, or I was missing the mark or whatever. And he goes, you do realize it's not a tightrope. He's like, have you ever driven up the M2? It's more like a six lane motorway. And he's like, there's so much room for you to go to the right and to go to the left and to be in the middle and to go up and down and left and right and still be inside that. That's beautiful. And that was so powerful, you know. And the other thing, he then followed up with something else. He says, I had a picture of you and you were just a big hand that was just white knuckles. <laughs> he says, you don't have to white knuckle your way through life. And honestly, like that man came into and out of my life very, very quickly but that, those t that simple kind of like concept has radically altered my life. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think like there is so much power in the prophetic and in the spirit kind of realm because he was tapping into something that there's no way I could have got to myself, uh, you know, in any sort of speed. Mm -hmm. And there's no way he, he didn't know me, you know, like it was just totally out of the blue. Um, but I actually wanted to come back. I was thinking about something for you when you were speaking maybe 10 minutes ago the story of Mary and Martha mm -hmm. and when you were saying like you were constantly a servant do you know this story no no do you want to tell the story because I think it's kind of fun if I can get it right but Mary and Martha they were sisters though weren't they yeah yeah um, so Mary was the kind of one at the foot of Jesus you know listening to what he was teaching really kind of soaking it in having that quality time and Martha is like killing herself doing everything else all the housework, all the kind of things. She's just like, everything has to be perfect. Everything, Jesus is here, we have to make everything perfect. And she's like literally killing herself. And then she's like, oi, why aren't you helping out? You know, what are you doing? Kind of thing, like you're being like totally selfish, totally self-centered. You're doing the absolute opposite of what you should you should be doing what I'm doing. And then realizing, oh, and it's actually, you know, it's the flip, it's the reverse. Jesus I think Jesus had literally said. He literally uh -huh. turns around, it's like Mary has made the better decision. Mm -hmm. And it's like not trying to get everything perfect, not trying to scramble and, and have everything, 
you know, perfect. I sound like Jesus. <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> Martha. <laughs> it was in this moment totally yeah. realized. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. The other thing I kind of wanted to say was, there's like, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but uh, the Apostle Paul he writes something. I'm going to say it's in Ephesians, and it's about Jesus, and he says that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. So that's quite that's quite Christian knees, you know. Mm-hmm. So let me translate that. <laughs> Christian knees. <laughs> he, he basically is saying that like Jesus only did the things that he felt like he was called to do. So that's the deep instead of the wide. Mm-hmm. He only healed the people that God the Father was like, Psst, that one. Instead of trying to go about and heal everybody. And I think in my life. I'm trying to constantly move more towards that place where, yes, the will of God or the plan for my life is a, is a big, broad highway. But even in that, there's no sense in me taking like an off ramp to go and try to rescue somebody that I have no business trying to rescue mm. or pursuing a business opportunity that is, it's not part of my eight lanes. Do you know what I mean? Like right. there's a lot of things that I can do here that I feel like I've got God's blessing on, that I feel like is for me, that I feel like, as we would say in Northern Ireland, it's written for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't, you know, I can say no to those things. You know, the sirens that are sitting on the off ramp trying to lure me to go to Burger King. It's like, I don't need to go. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like I'm going somewhere. It's a worthy direction. It's a worthy cause. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's enough for me. You know, I don't need to take the off-ramp to Vegas that promises me, like, you can make 10 million pounds. Mm, like, call, uh, you know you know what I mean? Like Judy's like my liar. Is it liar? Liar. Yeah, yeah, liar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, she's like, you don't want to go to Burger King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, but the little whopper. Yeah, but then I'll be like, but yeah, I could make this and this and this. And you're like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like the best burgers ever so, at our yeah. choosing. Any uh, final words, buddy? I mean, you're just loaded with life experience and wisdom. Uh it's so awesome that, you know, you've given us your time, mm. you know. Um, any final words for people out there that I guess maybe even are trying to at least have a decision or a choice, a courage to move towards something? Because even when you started this podcast, you were a deliveroo. You were literally on your bike with your podcast equipment in your backpack. And, you know, I actually saw a a little bit of that uh, Colin Geddes interview of you. Oh, yeah. Where you Uh, talked about the beginnings and where you are now at, you know, pretty much on your way to releasing the 300th episode. Mm -hmm. So for those people who pretty much, you know, feel a calling, but... You know, they're they're like kind of like not jumping into that like double dutch, right? They're they're yeah, like, oh, yeah, I don't yeah. want to mess yeah. that up. Yeah. What would you say? I love the hero's journey. If you don't know about the hero's journey, quick Google will will take you there. It's basically an ancient storytelling structure that you find in the life of Jesus in Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. It's basically this kind of. This big story that you see in all the big movies, it's a story of our lives, you know. And the first part of the hero's journey is called The Call to Adventure. So Lord of the Rings is probably the best well-known. So it's like Gandalf shows up 
and tells Frodo, there's a ring. Something needs to be done about it. And then Frodo has a choice. Do I stay in the Shire? Do I stay in the familiar? Do I stay with the place that I've been in my whole life that I know where people know me? Or do I embark on this unknown journey? And Joseph Campbell, who is kind of one of the main researchers, proprietors, writers on the topic of the hero's journey. It's got this lovely quote where he says, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. Hmm. And so genuinely, like I'm not talking to everybody right now because not everyone who's listened to this feels that stirring in their gut. But there's a few people who are listening that do and they feel that excited, nervous energy and that's the call to adventure. And to those people, I would say, go. Leave the Shire, whatever your Shire is, whether it's a job, whether it's a group of friends you're in, whether it's a country, whether it's a mindset, a belief, whatever, and go on that journey and step into that unknown. But the most important thing I would say is, as you do that, look really, really closely for the fellow travelers. Look for your Samwise Ganji. Look for the other hobbits who are going on that journey with you. Because just like I was when I was 17, in that tent in Germany, without them, I couldn't have made it. And there's people in your life who will be mentors, the old man, you know, like this guy I just talked to, he's like a Gandalf, but Gandalf won't get you there. Gandalf pops in and pops out. Mm -hmm. He doesn't hold your hand. But the fellow travelers will. And when you get beat up, they'll be the people to pick you up again. When you get an arrow to the knee, they'll be the ones to put the bandage on. And you'll do the same for them. And you need to find those fellow travelers. Because mm. that is, that's the human journey. Never meant to do it alone. Mm. And... And it's such a cliche, but like that's where the beauty is. Mm -hmm. It's in those relationships you make along the way. It's being able to actually take part in this experience we call life with other people. And the destination does not really matter. Yes, you get to a destination and it's great and you, you get a little bit of treasure or you get a little magic uh, bottle of healing elixir. <laughs> and maybe you experience breakthrough in your life and you know you heal from a trauma or you restore a relationship or you have a breakthrough with a disease or your mental health. But then as soon as that happens, the call to adventure starts again. You know, the hero's journey is an endless process. Mm. You finish one, you start the next one. Mm. And so always keep moving forward. Say yes to the call to adventure and uh, make sure you you bring a couple of other hobbits along the way. Nice, nice. Mm -hmm. And to finally wrap up, that would be including uh, maybe there's some kind of thing with people that have a propensity towards depression, anxiety, is that like it's actually a, a call. Yeah. Right? That's the thing, you know. So the Shire could be uh, your depression. It's the familiar. It's the thing that surrounded you for as long as you can remember. And the only way to get out of that is you, you, you got to go, you got to step into the unknown. You know, mm -hmm. the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. That looks like so many different things for different people. It's going to a therapist. It's maybe reading a book. If you want to read something, I really can't recommend The Depression Cure enough. 
It's a six-step program for overcoming depression without drugs. If you wanna, if you're more of an audio person, you can check out uh, mentalhealth.fm, where we do. Or, you know, we've, I think we've done like 30 podcasts with the author of that book, and he just breaks it down in such a, a beautiful way. But yeah, get on the adventure because you're not going to move by standing still. And that's kind of the reality that we spoke about earlier. You know, if you want to live like nobody else, you have to live like nobody else. And it takes courage, and that's really scary. But what's your other option? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Um, so since you're not on social media, where can people find your podcast? Yeah, bestofbelfast.org. Or if you type in Belfast on this, any podcast app, you'll see a yellow logo. You can click on that. And then the other one, mentalhealth.fm. Like I said, it's the mental health project. And that's, yeah, that's the only places you can find me currently. Awesome. And thank you so much for allowing us into your deep, dark cave here at Best of Belfast. We have you as the treasure to share to the rest of the world. And uh, thank you. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you sink. It usually sits up there, but I think Oh, that's interesting. Joseph Campbell, everybody. Matthew Thompson, Best of Belfast. Thank you so much, brother. Thank Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. The trilogy. It's yeah, dude. Been completed. This is like better than the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Awesome. 